is from Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, where it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Thank you very much, Becca. I'll get to those verses in a little bit here. Thank you very much. Uh, i got to give a hand to the guys on the AV and everything. It gets complicated week to week. And um, and there could be like nothing wrong, but it can still go wrong. So thank you guys back there very much for that. Um, the second year of mine and Becca's marriage, we missed Christmas. Now, I don't mean like in the Hallmark way, like we missed the spirit of Christmas. No, we missed meeting with Becca's family. And it was kind of weird because... We were only about 30 minutes away. We lived in Sioux Falls at the time. They lived in Hayward. And the year before that, we lived in Chicago when we were still able to make it to Christmas. And it was almost kind of like a Hallmark movie. The reason why we couldn't make it to Christmas the second year, even though it was 30 minutes away, was because this huge blizzard uh, was going through the Dakotas. Once again, I try not to be in North Dakota past December 1st. And even though we were 30 minutes away, we missed Christmas. You know, even though we were, never, we were never closer, we couldn't be further away. You know, the subject of missing Christmas, not in the way I mean, uh, but more missing the Christmas spirit, is a, is a topic, it's a trope in Christmas stories ever since A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Of course, my favorite take on this type of story, though, is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's definitely one of my favorite Christmas movies, up until the point where like he saves it. I'm just kidding. Um, but I do like it. I don't like that Jim Carrey abomination one. You know what I'm talking about? It is so disturbing. There's this part where he's like uh, he's like judging the fudge, and somebody puts something in his mouth, and he says it's not fudge. To this day, I still think about it. I'm still disturbed. I'm like, well, what is it? So that trope of missing Christmas, of missing the Christmas spirit, it's, it's throughout all these Christmas stories. What most most people mean when they talk about missing the Christmas spirit is missing that attitude of generosity, of family. It gets a little more saccharine and sappy from there, of being happy and hopeful um, during this time, turning that frown upside down. Well, if you miss what this world views as the meaning of Christmas, you may be visited by three timely spirits. But if you miss the Christ of Christmas, you will not be visited by the one Holy Spirit. And that's a true tragedy. Last time I preached a couple weeks ago, I talked. I said that it was going to be the the last sermon in the series of the names of God, but I did say I'd be bringing them up again, so I'm not a liar as I tell you that I'm going to talk about one more name of God this morning, Emmanuel. The, in Matthew 1:23, quoting from Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Where does God live? That's, you know, the obvious answer is heaven, you know, wherever that might be. The pagans, 
They had their gods in many different places. Their gods lived on high mountains. Their gods lived on a branch of this gargantuan tree. Their, their gods lived in pyramids and all these other places. But where does the true Lord of all, the creator and maker of the universe, where does he rest? Isaiah 66.1 This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? I remember probably every church in America used to sing this song. Heaven is my home and earth is my footstool. Where will my resting place be? In the song you get all silent. Then everybody would sing together in the crescendo. Here, O Lord, have I prepared for you a home. Where does God live? Unlike every other story where their gods live in high mansions in the sky, our God chooses to make our hearts his home. What is the answer to God's question? He answers it himself in the person of Christ. It is Emmanuel, God with us. 1 John 4.12 No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made perfect in us. That is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone, if anyone acknowledges, acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love, of, that, love that God has for us. Christmas, the true Christmas message, if it is separate, if people think it is separate or not grounded in this essential truth of God being with us, it is ineffective, and at worst, it is settling for the lesser when the best is in front of us. It's settling for a fat, jolly, jolly man coming down the chimney when the God-man is at the door. Yeah. Amen. Christmas is not just about a baby in a manger. Now you might say, well, Pastor Jason, that, that is the Christmas story. I've seen Charlie Brown. They read from Luke 2. God with us is not just about God coming down to experience what it's like to be a human. He came for a reason. The shadow of the cross hangs over the manger, and the light of the dawn of an empty tomb illuminates the dark night when the child was born. Amen. Some are content with a baby Jesus and an inoffensive man, but they draw the line at a bloody cross in an empty tomb. That's how you miss Christmas. Missing Christmas is not just simply not being in the festive mood. Missing Christmas is missing the whole reason why it is. And even as believers, we miss Christmas. Talking about missing Christmas, that can't be more relevant than this year. When we have governors and mayors trying their best to reenact the Grinch who stole Christmas, I assume they all have about the same results. This year, more than ever, we have to guard our own hearts so that we don't miss Christmas. Why? Well, most years it's hard enough to get the true meaning, to have our minds focused on it with all the commercialism, of course. Then on top of that, you have all the mixed messages, everybody thinking that they're so smart by posting on Facebook, oh, that Jesus probably wasn't really born on the 25th of December, which I find just hilarious, as if people hadn't celebrated their birthday on a day other than the day you were born. There's so much to get through normally, but this year it's even worse because of all the stress that have accumulated since last 
spring with the with the pandemic, and we now have an election that still not has been has still not been settled. This year, it will be easier to either go through the motions or, worse yet, to fall into despair. As I said before, every year people miss Christmas, what Christmas is all about. Even those who post, remember the reason for the season on their Facebook wall, will get busy, will focus more on the getting rather than the giving, they'll focus more on putting out fires at home and at work. It is not any wonder that so many people miss what Christmas is about today, because in the very first Christmas, people missed it. More people missed it than got it. Way more people, only a handful of people, didn't miss that first Christmas. I was listening to a very similar sermon from Pastor John MacArthur. He had six examples. I was going throughout the Christmas story. I could easily pick up ten, but that would be a very, very long sermon. And I'm just picking kind of three because I think they represent all the rest. Here are the people who miss Christmas then and who miss Christmas now. One is religious people. Two is fearful people. And three is indifferent people. Let's start first with religious people. That's where Becca read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to go ahead and read it again, because I'm going to be picking certain things out of here to call our remembrance. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the, where is the Christ to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. So it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When I read that, the very first thing that, that sticks out to me is that they were troubled. When asked by the wise man, when Herod the Great was asked by the wise men, where is he who is born king of the Jews? It says that he, referring to the king, was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Christ troubles people. And if you don't believe me, next time you're at work and you're, you're on break and you're with the guys or the gals, just start your conversation out by saying, hey, I'd like to speak about Jesus today. And you will notice how the most chatty person will get all kinds of quiet. And they'll be like, you know, they'll say all kinds of platitudes that they can remember that they hope maybe is scripture. You know, blood's thicker than water and things like that. Christ troubles people. I remember when I was, um, I was, uh, me and Becca, we first got married. I moved to Wheaton, Illinois. I was working at Target. And like, Target takes everybody in during the holiday times. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter is what I mean by that. And um, they found out uh, that I was a pastor. Um, they actually, from my Twitter, it's Pastor Jason Fiss. Um, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, like, it was a little different, but it, it actually opened up all these opportunities. Actually, I never said, I never like started out a conversation, let's talk about Jesus. I'd be working with somebody, and they'd be, and they'd be like, now I'm having a really tough time, can you pray for me? Or in fact, my boss at Target at the time, actually I got out of work a couple days because he wanted me to basically do pastoral counseling with him in his office. So I was like, that's a sweet deal. <laughs> if you're living as Christ, there's opportunity to show up. But Christ still troubles people. I think the most controversial name in all of existence is Jesus. Oh, man. 
Right now, people will go into overdrive trying to diminish who Christ is and his birth. They will take examples from from supposedly before Christ, actually they're like 300 years after Christ, of how it was in an original story and stuff like that. By the way, there's a plug for right now media. Uh, Case for Christmas is on there. It's an excellent study by Lee Strobel. I totally suggest um, going into that. In fact, I thought maybe preaching on that during this Advent season, and I decided against it. But it's certainly excellent. But Christ troubles people. It troubled all of Jerusalem, including that king. So what does the king do? After Herod is done being troubled, he gathers the religious lead of his time, the chief priests and the scribes. It's kind of a quick aside who the chief, chief priests and the scribes are. Is you probably you've heard of, heard of them. Heard of them. In his commentary, D. A. Carson talks about who the chief priests and the, scri- and the scribes are. Now there were two factions, two major popular factions in Israel during that time when it came to religious leadership: the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees they didn't believe in any kind of spirits. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in an afterlife, and they were sad. You see. And um, if I were to pick out who would you think of those two groups they are, I was like, of course, the scribes. The scribes, they had such an intellectual pursuit of preserving the Torah and the Tanakh. They were the chief priests. I was like, really? So the people who are sacrificing the animals for your guilt don't believe it does anything other than maybe Israel won't be conquered for another hundred years. And I started thinking about today. And I, I kind of read different publications, Christianity Today, Gospel Coalition, and I come across a lot of people who are supposed to be pastors with Sadducees. The scribes, the intellectuals, the ones who preserved the Torah, the Tanakh, all the prophets, they were the Pharisees. You may know about the Pharisees if you've ever read the New Testament, if you've ever read the Gospels. They were the ones who did not like Jesus. They were those who are super spiritual Collectively, these two groups, even though they hated each other, they were the zenith of religious devotion during Herod's time. So he asked them, where is the child to be born? They get it right. Bethlehem of Judea, they quote from the prophet Micah. So they know this Messiah has been born. And we'll be singing a song at the end of service today, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Because that is the theme of the Old Testament. This long-expected Messiah. The people of Israel crying out against the Romans, against the Persians, against the Syrians. And here he is. They know where he's at. None of them company the wise men to go see him. They already have a religion. They don't need some child born in a stable. Come thou long-expected Jesus. We sing this song, Come thou long-expected Jesus. This hymn is based on the great hope of the Messiah. From the moment man fell, God promised to deliver the seed of the woman. Job spoke of a redeemer who would stand with him on the last day. Abraham told his son Isaac that God would provide a sacrifice, and Isaiah said that this would be a sign to you. The virgin will be with child, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, when it comes to it, those who know where he's at and believe the testimony, for they were also troubled, they just don't care. Because religion is a fine place to hide. Religion is a fine place to hide. 
Well, God can't be angry with me. I go to church every Sunday. I do all these things. And when I talk about religion, I don't even really mean church going. I think America is the most religious nation on the face of the earth. Because everybody thinks they're a spiritual expert. That's dangerous. Because God opposes the crowd. He gives grace to the humble. And if we come to God saying, I already know everything, God's like, fine, I guess you already know everything. But if we come humbly saying, I am just a beggar looking for food, that is when we experience grace. We are the most religious country on the face of the earth, but that does not mean we know the true religion. And if we do, it's not in the right way. If religion is a fine place to hide because religion puts the worship of the Lord ahead of the Lord of the worship. It's putting the worship of the Lord ahead of the Lord of the worship. It is entirely possible for you to constantly listen to praise and worship music, to come to church, conventions, camp, cry at the altar, and still miss the Christ of Christmas. These religious elite knew more than we knew of the Old Testament, and outwardly they seemed more righteous than we are, yet they missed it. You can do all that and still go through the motions. For us today, it seems nearly impossible to separate emotion from ex- emotional experience from actual tenderness to- towards Christ, but for them, it was nearly impossible to se- separate an intellectual experience from experiencing the true God of the universe. But it's truly not that hard. How do we know that we are truly, our worship is true, that we are truly worshiping God instead of putting the worship of God ahead of Him? Is that it changes our life. It changes our life. It changes the way we live our life. This is a big problem when people read James. But James is really expressing that the evidence of a, of a heart that has been changed is a changed life. A person can say Jesus is their best friend, but if that friendship changes nothing, it calls into question their authenticity. If you worship, if your worship doesn't change the way you live your life, you have put the worship of the Lord ahead of the Lord of the worship. And those people today still miss Christmas. They miss the Christ of Christmas. How about number two? Fearful people. So this is going to be my second portion of scripture on there. Thank you very much. From Matthew chapter 2, 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 2, 16 through 18. When Herod, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children at Bethlehem in, in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the, um, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is the part in the Christmas story that does not make its way into a lot of Christmas specials. We romanticize Christmas. We see the stable. We see the manger as some ideal, ideal place to give birth. And the manger that Jesus is set in is so beautiful and the baby is laughing. We don't realize that Christmas is the death blow in a war that started before the foundations of the world. And the enemy isn't going down without a fight. And you can see here the lengths the world, the devil, and sin go to when it feels threatened. If you read this account of Christ's birth in Matthew, if you have flashbacks to Moses, then you're reading it the right way. Matthew is absolutely paralleling Jesus with Moses because Jesus is the better Moses. And the death of innocence 
always comes for the same reason. The powerful fear of losing their power. There's a fear of Christmas. Herod is filled with a jealous fear. He's king of the Jews, not this baby born in Bethlehem. And he will not have Christ as his king. A sentiment that will be echoed towards the end of Jesus' life when Pilate takes Jesus Christ out. And they say, we have no king but Caesar. We will not have this man as our king. If I were to distill every objection to the gospel, I would put it in this very story, I will not have this man as my king. If I were to distill every objection to the gospel into one example from the Bible, this would be it. It is the fear of Jesus as king. Herod is not alone in this. So many carry with so many carry with them this same fear. Many of us live with a remnant of this fear, the fear that we will be judged even though we know that Christ took the judgment in our place. God would say to you, cast it off. You have no such fear. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Fear-filled people miss Christmas. Herod was right to fear Christ because judgment was coming for him. And honestly, this is something to think about. Herod today is experiencing justice, and every cry of every babe who is slain by the sword under his command is being avenged. 1 John 4.18 When it comes to this fear that is not ours, if you have truly been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you are truly saved, if you have a relationship with him, you have this confidence. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. A lot of times when I hear this verse, that last part is cut off. So that people, like if they're afraid of something, um, they can say this to themselves. It's not a litany against fear like the one that's in the book Dune. This is talking about the primordial fear of man, of being judged. Thomas Jefferson said, the one thing that keeps him up at night is that God is just and his justice will not sleep forever. This is the fear that all of mankind shares except for those who have been perfected in his love. So today, if you are afraid of dying, not the process of dying, but where you will go, either one, you do not know him, and get right with him. Know him. Call upon his mercy and he will save you. But if you truly, if you are secure in that, you say, I still have fear, then pray in the tender part of faith, in that tender part of prayer. God, perfect me once again in your love. Yield to his love. You are missing Christmas if you allow fear. In the tender part of prayer, come to God and ask the refiner to once again perfect you in his love. This verse is not primarily about about all kinds of fears, like the fear of spiders, and I quote this to myself so I can smash one. But honestly, though, if you don't fear what everyone else fears, all other fears seem very, very small. It's like getting yourself back in your right mind. If I don't fear, if I don't fear what happens after this life is over, why should I be afraid of what people think of me? Why should I be, I mean, let's be clear, why should I be afraid of a virus? Why should I be afraid of what happens after this next election, whoever gets installed? If the worst thing happens, read Revelation, that's, that's the worst. And we're still fine. God is still glorified, and his people are still fine. There's another fear. I'm going to go back to this. It's the fear that Herod had as well, and it's the fear of Jesus as king. 
The fear of Jesus as king. If he and not I is king, then he gets to call the shots. Pastor R.W. Glenn, he didn't put this in the book, so I have to say he tweeted it. I hate saying that, but that's all I got. Um, I love this. We are reluctant to pray, thy will be done, because we are secretly suspicious of the Father's intentions towards us. What would it look like for you to be completely submitted to God? Does that give you pause? Does it scare you? Because it, tr- it troubled the chief priests, it troubled the scribes, it filled Herod with rage. Don't miss Christmas because you have a silly fear. Know that if you are completely submitted to God, your life will be filled with joy and happiness. Maybe not in the way you used to think, but in a deeper, more powerful way. The third type of people to miss Christmas are indifferent people. Are indifferent people. Indifference, apathy, not caring. I remember when I was growing up in North Dakota, I probably said that one or two times. Um, I was growing up in North Dakota, and I was reading Newsweek instead of doing my homework like I did in my study halls. And I was reading about this uh, about this um, college campus, and they had their commencement ceremony, and they had the President of the United States come and speak. Now, I can't remember if it was Clinton or George W. Bush, but I know that there was a segment of the student population who was, like, furious, and they refused to go to commencement. And I'm sure, you know, that broke a lot of hearts. Anyway, um, and uh, they weren't going to come. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, they are so ungrateful. At least somebody cares about you. I mean, at the time, I was thinking, the only time the president comes to North Dakota is when we're either burning or, or flooded. That's the two times. I was like, if I ever get the opportunity to meet the president, I'm taking that opportunity. And then I got older, I moved to Iowa, and uh, as you guys know, every four years, every politician's like in every town. And I, we moved to Dubuque, and I remember I'm driving home, and I had to go through this, um, I had to go by the park, and um, I found out Obama was going to be there. And um, I, I, Obama was going to be there, it would have been really easy for me to go and, and just to listen to him. And then I, Becca knows this story, I just was like, I'd rather just go home and watch The Office. <laughs> I had a lot of apathy, and you know, honestly, my views on things had changed as well, but there are a lot of indifferent people in the Christmas story who miss Christmas. How about the Romans? The Romans are the backdrop to the whole of the New Testament. They are, they are a part in every story, directly or indirectly. They may have heard about a king of the Jews being born in Bethlehem, but they are not going anywhere. They just don't care. They have another religion. How about those living in Bethlehem? We say, Mary, did you know? But I would say, I would ask, oh, oh little town of Bethlehem, did you know that born in you this day is the king of kings and the lord of lords? The whole of Israel is expecting a Messiah. Come thou long expected Messiah. But they're not expecting one who's born peasants. Out of all the many options I could go with, and I found several options of those who are just indifferent, they just don't care whether he's the Messiah or not. I was listening to that um, to this sermon by Pastor John MacArthur on this on this topic. He gave one example that I'm going to I'm going to steal because I thought it was really good. And really, the indifference of those who were there at the time is one thing, but what about those who knew Jesus as he was growing up? Those in Nazareth. In Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6, he went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to, to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, 
Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, and brother of James, um, Joseph, and Judah, um, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do any. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. Those who knew Jesus growing up, they had the most apathy. There's about there's so much Christmas apathy as well. You know, I've been told the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy, it's indifference. Who cares? Am I right? I've stuff to do. All these people living their lives, and they saw Jesus. I mean, think about this. You're growing up with Jesus. He is God in the flesh. But they assigned him like we do. We assign people to our little checklist. Okay, they're like this. They'll never surprise me in here. Little do I know, greatness is staring me in the face. It's much like Christmas. Oh, it's Christmas again. Pastors preaching about, about Jesus being born or something else. Let's not pretend we don't do the same. Like I said before, it's Christmas. Pastor's preaching on Jesus being born or something. Yes, ghost of Christmas yet to come. I will keep Christmas in my heart or whatever. So familiarity breeds contempt. They took offense at him. That's what the scripture says. They took offense at him. Every year, we have the same platitudes and saying, and it becomes familiar. And familiarity breeds contempt. And we see this with Jesus in his very hometown. They continually missed Christmas. We are uncomfortable with greatness. Someone else being great feels like a threat to us. We are fine fine with Jesus being great because he's not around until the Holy Spirit wants to mess up our plans. Then that's a bit harder. That requires us to wake up from our indifference. The cross is evidence. Here's the thing. We come in church, and so many people are like, I don't want to come to church. I haven't been living a moral life, and everyone's going to talk about me. And I almost want to chuckle, because it's like, hey, the cross tells me you're not as well put together as you think you are. Yeah. You're not. You can't save yourself. Not a single person here. I don't care how moral or righteous you think you are. The cross tells me your sin is so black and dark and bloody that it took the blood of Christ himself to cover over it. Greatness is never appreciated in youth, called pride in middle age, dismissed in old age, and reconsidered in death. Because we cannot tolerate greatness in our midst, we do all we can to destroy it. And the author, J. Michael Straczynski, that's what we see in the story of Jesus, of those who miss Christmas the most. It's those who are apathetic, those who have the familiarity, and we go through all the motions, but may this Advent season you not go through the motions. May this be a reminder to you to love more than you've ever loved. To forgive in ways that you didn't realize you needed to. Actually, Christmas is a great time for that because we'll be at least in communication with family. And no one brings out who we truly are like family, right? To forgive in ways we never thought we needed to forgive. To love like we've never loved. 
When I was a teen, I was on fire for the Lord, I still am, and I was very passionate about evangelism. I get so frustrated because I'd witness to my to people in my school and my class, and I'd be so frustrated because they just they, they wouldn't agree to what I'm telling them. I had all these great arguments. I had the ABCs of salvation, the four spiritual laws. Why don't they just give in? It makes so much sense. Why don't you just believe Jesus? And I remember I was watching uh, the show Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. Um, it's since been taken off the air, and Bill Maher would normally have like one Chris, Christian on, and he'd have like four like vehemently you know atheist anti Christians, and um, he had this one lady on there, and he was bashing Christians like he normally does, and he was saying that uh, Christians were really arrogant. The gal, she had such an awesome response. She said, "It's not arrogance to be one beggar telling another beggar where you can find bread." I was like, "That's really good." Yeah. He explained, though, he, he, he explained perfectly why salvation is of the Lord and the Holy Spirit has to change the heart around. Because he said, well, I'm not hungry. Amen. The problem with Christmas every year is that people just aren't hungry. Why? Because we fill up on all the nonsense. We fill up on all the anxieties and frustrations and the news, all the stuff that's going on, maybe even at home, all the fires we have to put out. And we go through the motions and we miss truly what Christmas is about. Today, if you've never understood what Christmas is about, you do not have the Christ of Christmas. I beg you, I beg you as your pastor, be reconciled to God. Trust in him alone for salvation. Know him as your savior, as your friend, as your king. Those of us who have been saved, let's wipe away all the stuff that gets in our way and worship him because he deserves it, not just now, but always. Worship team, would you come up at this time? I requested this song this week. It'll probably be every week. It's an adaptation of an old hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. That was the attitude of those in the Old Testament. The Old Testament desiring this Messiah, that was the first advent. The advent comes from the Latin, which is Adventus, which means coming. We are now in the second advent because we are waiting for his return. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. The second coming of Christ, we eagerly desire this. We should have that same spirit today. It's not just for this season. I certainly preached on Christmas verses outside of the Christmas season because it's so relevant to our life, to always have our mind, our eyes focused on the author and founder of our faith. Would you please stand with us? We'll be ending this song, we'll be ending the service in this song of worship. But as we do this, take stock of your life. Take stock of where you're at right now. Have you let all the frustrations during this time cloud your affection towards Christ? And when I say this time, I don't even mean Christmas and Thanksgiving. I mean since spring. You look back and when you say, man, how can I get that back? My tenderness, my love for God. I'm tired of going through the motions. Today is the day to set in yourself that, that will, that I will once again become hungry for the things of God. Become hungry for the Christ of Christmas.